everyone. Welcome to the Recording Drums Podcast with Blair Sinta. Today my guest is Matt Starr. Uh, online he goes by the real Matt Starr. Um, I'm going to apologize up front for the audio on this. My side was was distorted, but uh, it's, it's not as pleasant as it should be. Information is there, though. Matt has toured and recorded with Chris Shiflett, Dina Carter, Lucy Hale, Rita Wilson... Christopher Cross, to name a few. Excellent drummer here in L.A. He's doing a lot of tracks out of his studio. Um, he's got a lot of visuals for you if you're watching the YouTube version of this, but I think you'll get it through the audio podcast version also. Uh, he's going to tell us about his engineer influences and descriptions of his space and how he got into recording drums in the early 2000s. If you are a recording drummer, please check out my Introduction to Recording Drums course available at my website, blairsinta.com. You can also receive a 10-point guide for remote recording, and this is super useful for drummers, songwriters, and producers, and you can have that free just by visiting my site. All right, we are already talking about uh, snare shelves as this interview begins, uh, how Matt built his snare shelves, and let's get into it. Here is the real Matt Star. I had a, I had my snare on like a wire shelf, snares on a wire shelf for a long time, and they were like side by side like this. Right. And that's just the worst. Like, I, never, I never know how people deal with that. When yeah, it's it like terrible. That. Yeah. So when I finally got them so I could sit them flat, Right. It's just so much easier when you're swapping them in. I mean, you know this because you have those amazing IKEA shelves that nobody makes that they don't right, make I anymore. Know. Right? It's like the envy of all <laughs> snare shelves, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but that's um, it's funny because my symbol, my symbol cabinet looks almost exactly like that. Looks like you have more slots than me, though. Well, no, it's it, they're. Oh, maybe I do. Maybe I do. Um, and they're. I ended up making it too big, which I guess is better than making it too small, but. I also have heads in there. I decided ah. to put like extra, like 24 inch heads and 22 inch, you know. That's a good idea. The rest of my heads on the snare shelf, but yeah. Nice. Um, so. Nice. How's your studio, dude? So I was over there. Oh, wow. That was pre-pandemic. When was that? Was that like a year ago? I'm thinking about a year ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how long yeah. have you been in that room now? This room actually is the longest I've been anywhere. It's like 2011 or something like that that I moved. Have in you here. really? Oh wow! Yeah, I was in two other places before this as well, which were more like um, lockout buildings, right. which was a nightmare because, right. as you know, it's like you know you go to try to record and there's like a, literally a band in the room on the other wall, right. like blaring, right. and it's just like. It didn't work. So I got lucky. I'm not, I, I won't say like, cause we've had like security issues here lately, but this room is in a building like, which is in a, uh, a storage building for a, a company that does a lot of cartage and, right. uh, you know, rentals and all that kind of stuff. So it's like one of three rooms and everybody else that rents here who has production rooms, super cool. And you can always work out a time if you need it. And right. Um, so this has been like by far the best situation. Plus I have like storage out in the, in the warehouse for all my drums. So they don't actually have to all be right. in the room with me. I have like a snare shelf I'll show later, but, right. 
uh, like not having to have all the drums in here makes a big difference for and, me. And when you moved in in 2011, were you recording already or was it more of a practice rehearsal space for you? No, it, it, I've like, I, I'll, I can go back on history eventually if you want me to, but like I've had a rig of some kind since 2006, oh. uh, um, in different rooms, like, you know, both the other ones were lockout rooms and then this one is like its own special thing, but. Yeah, so I I've had gear for a long time. I've been, you know, trying to trying to get better and better and better at this for a long time. But I bought my first round of gear in like 2006, which is kind of crazy when I think back on it. And, wh and when did you come to LA? I came to LA in I mean, for all intents and purposes, I wasn't like really here until like 2002 because that's when I graduated school. I went to Lama for a minute, um, right, and. Uh, uh, which was a totally different place back then, right. which we could get into, but that's not really the, you know, on subject matter. Anything, but, um, <laughs> we're talking about recording, man. We're not talking, yeah, we're talking about recording, schools. but yeah. um, <laughs> no, let's, please let's not talk about it. Um, but, um, but yeah, so 2002 and like I had had recording gear before that, you know, but I didn't have any when I was out here until like 2006. Okay. That's right. The first time I started actually recording stuff. Yeah. And you were, and, and at that point, you were like, you were like, I need to be able to record, or it was just something you wanted to get into. No, that's a great, that's actually a really good question. I, I felt like I started to see that people were buying stuff. And it was at that point when, you know, I think the Digio 2 stuff had been out or Digio 1 or all that stuff had been out for a while. But Probably right Digio around that time, like, then, yeah. Yeah, like I feel like in 05 and 06 is when it started expanding to where you could get like an eight channel interface and, you know, with multiple, there was like more of that happening. Right. right. And so like, um, so I didn't feel obliged. I just always loved, you know, being a part of recording and, and I wanted to have something to start to get good at that. Right. And, um, you know it became like way more affordable like once they made it so you you could have a native setup and not an hd setup and all of that stuff i just i, I that's when i started to pull pull the trigger on stuff yeah um, the native thing was a big was a big deal because it was that in between le and hd thing that was like affordable that you could do exactly more. yeah yeah and i had my first set of gear actually if you want i can share this right now i had sure. like these um uh one second here no, that's not the right. So I had this thing here, which was an M Audio Project Mix. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah. Um and, and then I combined it with this guy, which was the another eight channels that you connected via ADAT. I'm pretty sure it was ADAT. Really? Um Yeah. So like at one point at one point I had like uh 16 total channels or whatever yep. of this stuff but it was like not great gear like it was you know the converters were not amazing um but but for me at that time like it was great for learning on and just right. kind of figuring out what i was doing and so were you running um, were you actually running like 16 channels like early on and you're recording yeah at some point 
when I had those two things, mm. I, I I actually was. Wow, bold move. Kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I was using all of them, though. I think, well, I don't, that's I what I mean, I definitely didn't have that many mics, yeah. Okay, that's what I mean, though. Yeah. 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 At the time, I definitely didn't. Um, but it, but I learned so much just from like trying to make those crappy things. I mean, I shouldn't disparage them too much. They were pretty great for what they were at the time, you know. Dude, I, but, my 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 Digio One, I did a lot on there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that thing took me a long way. You know. How many channels were? I I feel like I should know this, but that was two channels, and then. I think that you could plug two more into it. So I think I had that plus a pair of APIs. I oh, think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. That's my recollection. Uh, it's been so, so long. So you had four but, channels going. So you could do drums. Pretty pretty cool drums yeah, my, with that, right? Well, my early thing, I was definitely doing a 57 and a 58. Just like, like I don't know what the hell I'm doing. But my early thing was I was actually recording songs. I was like playing guitar and singing yeah. And the drum thing was like almost like, oh, now I need to put drums on. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like an afterthought or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's well, that's amazing. You started with like a decent amount of microphones. It may not have been sixteen, but you were like, because I yeah, was I, had, I was afraid of I, that for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, I I was I was gonna say I was lucky because um, you know this guy Rich Breen, engineer. Nope. He um he's sort of famous for having done like a bunch of the yellow jacket stuff. Like that's like his oh, yeah. his okay. his one of his main things. But um he I did some session where he was the engineer and I got to know him and he was super cool and helpful and he actually ended up like um recommending things for me to buy, recommending mics, recommending I don't know if he recommended the M audio stuff necessarily, but he definitely guided me through a lot of the early part of it. Like, right. you know, I would send him things and say, how does this sound? And he came over a couple of times and helped me dial things in. And right. so, yeah, I was intimidated by it for sure at first, but I just was like, you know, diving in and getting help. And, right. you know, the thing that everybody has to do when they first start this thing is like, you really just have to make a bunch of mistakes and yeah sit there pulling your hair out wondering how to do something and not knowing and calling somebody and yeah it's whole. it's really good to have a gear a point person for what should i buy and for me oh. that was zach ray he would basically ah. like you know he would just send me ebay things you should get this okay cool <laughs> you should get this okay cool yeah. this is pretty dope get this uh that's kind of pricey uh maybe okay yeah you know yeah yeah oh that's great and was he was he also a guy you could call and say, hey, how do I, how do I do, you know, I can't figure out how to do this in Pro Tools or whatever, or did you have somebody um, else? For that, that was more my my a friend of mine, Kirk, named Kirk Wheeler, and he was like when I when I was when I moved to L.A. in '96, the house I moved into, um, I actually took John Button's place in that house, oh, cool. and uh, Kirk had an HD rig in '96. Wow. So I was. Yeah watching him edit and stuff back then in the house like with like i he was a songwriter and i would we would make records in the house and i was playing in a band uh with john actually that this band called blackbird sky that was like a kind of heavy soundgardenish band and we were recorded in the house so i was watching edit editing pro tools editing early on i was not touching anything as far as gear but like yeah 
I was watching it happen. So, but he right. was the guy when I started to get my thing. I'd be like, "Hey, dude, how do you do this? Hey, dude, how do you do this?" Like, yeah, you know, it was mainly Pro Tools questions, but you know, yeah, that's what Rich was. That Rich was my guy for that too. And actually, you know what? I, I, I know where I first met him, which would be interesting for you. I met him uh, hanging out at a Kevin Latow session. Oh wow! So he was engineering for her, and okay. I actually remember. You made me think of it because I remember like sitting behind him and looking over his shoulder and he was running Pro Tools. And that was like kind of one of the first times I had seen Pro Tools really in action and, you know, watching him edit things like she was crazy, you know, and this would have been like early 2000s or something like that. And that was at somebody's, where was it? What was the studio? Um, Yeah, it was like a, uh, like similar to yours, but bigger, like a, a backyard uh, studio build of okay. some kind okay. um, in the valley somewhere. But I don't even remember because, you know, I didn't have a car yet. Somebody drove me there. Somebody right. drove me back. And Mike, Mike, like Mike Shapiro was playing drums, obviously. Mike was playing drums yeah. and Mike Miller and uh, playing guitar and all those, the same, right. the crew. You yeah, know? yeah. Wow. Um, cool. Yeah. And that's where I got to know Rich. And, and actually, another crucial thing with Rich uh, early on was he convinced me to do all of these panels that are here mm -hmm. and he sent me designs because like these all look like they're the same thing but they're actually a bunch of them are different right, right. like right these two guys here are big bass traps they have like a big sheet of of uh lead loaded vinyl hanging from the top of them so like they they cut uh, or they um clean up a lot of like low-end weirdness you know right and nice a bunch of these panels also have like that perf board stuff like the things you hang tools from mm -hmm. underneath the burlap and so like he was the one that sent me all the designs he's like you should be putting a bunch of this stuff up because it's going to make a huge difference to the way your stuff sounds and of course it's totally what happened um, and you you built all that stuff i i built them i like helped somebody else build them right you know i hired somebody to right to help me build so you you, you you got the materials and then you watched them build them basically yeah like I, I i was given i was given uh permission to use a hammer and a couple of a staple gun right um that was it yeah you're, you're the staple gun guy right it's good you know gun guy. it looks good man so you did a good job yeah yeah it, it, it looks okay yeah. and that ceiling um, that ceiling has a cement floor and brick walls right yeah like luckily for me one of the walls is brick um the rest of them are sheetrock walls okay. um but i'm lucky also because it's not like perfectly square there's a lot of like angles in here i wish the ceiling was higher but you know it's it, with the panels being up there it makes a difference sort of like you know at least i'm not getting really bad reflections from up there even right. though and i just have to and i'm sure you can relate to this but i just have to be really careful like how i play in here like you know right i, I can't i I've, I've learned a lot about you know like what not to do in a smaller room for me in here. And I right. figured out how to dial everything with the stuff that I'm doing. Um, I don't know, even know that having higher ceilings would make all that big a difference in that respect, but I definitely feel like that's helped me to figure out a lot of things. So, right. Yeah. And when I was over there, we, we experimented with like opening the door and putting the mic in the, in the hallway, just outside oh, the door dude. and then down the hallway. Yeah. yeah. Let me, let me share that. I'm going to show I'm go back to sharing screen for a second because this might actually. There we go. Nice. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I saved. 
So this is like my room mic thing. Mm -hmm. So when it's inside the room, I ace the two M160s. Uh, sorry, I switched too fast there, but I, I put them up against the wall that faces the drums and I face them against the wall in ORTF. Right. And I get a lot of, I get a good result with that. Mm -hmm. And then based on what you were just mentioning, I now put them kind of either right at the door looking out into the hall or yep. I'll put them all the way out or I'll put them down the hall or whatever. Right. Um, but man, like that outside thing is so great because, um, you can kind of leave it alone or you can like blow it up and destroy it. And all of a sudden it gets really crazy. I mean, it's like a really nice thing to have that as an option. I don't use it a lot. Um, but it, but when I use it, it's, it's like, pretty great it, 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 when it's needed it's really necessary and it sounds great so right yeah. so so i'm just going to repeat a little bit of what you said because you kind of froze up there so oh, i'm sorry no yeah. that's no yeah. it's all right so you were just saying like you you put them out in different spots either farther down the hallway or closer to the door basically depending on the size that you need because exactly. if you could see down the hallway in matt's room it's a very long cavernous hallway and you can go full bottom very easily totally. with that yeah yeah, I, I was gonna say like like I gotta I I know you've done it. I have to try to do a when the levy breaks thing in here because I think like the, I think this would be like pretty close to like maybe what it would be like to be in a, a castle, you know? Like it's yeah. so cavernous and open and so concrete and who knows? I hope I I think it could sound pretty cool. I have to try that sometime. Yeah, based on your it, it, I'm I guarantee it'll sound rad. Yeah. Yeah. So how long, so yeah. you, you were in there 2006 and then how long before you were actually like doing work for people? Were you, were you doing stuff for fun or did you, did you actually have work? Like Both. Um, I did, I did have some, like some of the people I was playing with at the time who were not like, you know, necessarily game people or anything, but I, I was doing, you know, they, it was getting that point in 2006 7 where people were starting to say like hey do you have a thing at home that you can do drums and so i was lucky because um i had people who were open to that and also like forgiving about you know anything that wasn't great on my end at first because it was like you know i was still figuring stuff out mm -hmm. and um figuring out just even the process of doing it like revisions and right. you know that whole part of it um so I was lucky because because I, I had enough chances to do it for real, um, but not like super high pressure kind of stuff that it like helped me to learn what to do. And and so, yeah, I mean, kind of almost right away, I just because I had the stuff, I think people were were aware of that and were asking me to do it. So Right. And um, then how long do you think before you were like, you know, either word, either word got out or like, or you were like, oh, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this. I need to, I need to like look for work or just let people know more. Well, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think as soon as I started spending money on this stuff, I was like, you know, I need to like justify spending money on this. I was trying to get attention on that right away or trying to like make people aware. I mean, at least in my circle at the time, you know, um, mm -hmm. And it also helped me because, like, I was producing a few things. Like, really, I'm not a producer, but I was producing a few things for people at that time where, like, I started also recording other instruments in here. And um, 
you know, learning how to record an acoustic guitar, learning how to record cello. And I even did horns in here one time, which was kind of crazy. Like just, you know, also getting some experience doing other things like that. Not that I would want to do that all the time because it's kind of intimate chord section, but. I think that stuff is super valuable because you start to understand like, you know, the frequency range of an acoustic guitar and, and where, you know, like basically depending on the song or record you're working on where that should fit in, you know, because if if it's just like, if, if the acoustic guitar is the main thing, then you might have a lot of frequency, like low end and everything in it. But if it's really got to tuck in, you're going to like high pass it and like tuck it in. And those, I think that stuff really helps inform frequency of mixing drums. Totally. Yeah. Well, I was going to say this too. I, I don't know how you feel about it, but like, I remember when I started doing other instruments, having already done drums, I was actually less intimidated because to me, drums are like, not that other instruments don't have challenges in recording them, but like, if you can record a drum set, you're in, pretty good shape for like a base of knowledge about what to do with other things. And, and, and a lot of times with other instruments, maybe what a couple of mics at most on one source or something like that, Mm -hmm. as opposed to like, you know, 10 or 12 or whatever. I found that part way less intimidating. The only part that was, you know, a bit of a mystery is like, you know, placement with all those different instruments. But Mm -hmm. the idea that you didn't have to monitor like, eight or 10 things while you're doing it. It's like so much, you know, easier to me. Right. And look for phase between all of them. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. if you have two mics on a guitar cabinet, you're like, Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> this one's picking up Easy. like, like lower, lower frequencies. And this one's picking up, you know, the more bite and we blend them together and we set them evenly. So they're yeah. get the, you know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found that to be really, um, yeah, I just think drums are, are such a bear. And if you're, if you're comfortable with that, uh, if, or if you can accomplish getting to the point where you're comfortable with that, then you're in good shape. And it's uh, a lot of other stuff seems a lot easier after that. You know? Yeah, I, I would say the biggest challenge is, is vocalists or vocals. Yeah. But that's like a whole, that's like a whole study in itself, you know. Yeah, totally. Because <laughs> there's so much to it, like even on an emotional level, like having to recording somebody who's singing is like a whole other. Thing oh yeah. Compared to... Oh yeah. That's producing. <laughs> That's pretty right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Containing personalities. Yeah. Containing personalities. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So okay. So you started to like, you had that Motu, and then you started to like expand your my collection and gear collection. Yeah. EQ, whatever, adding EQ, like all those things. Was there was there a particular engineer besides was it Rich? Yeah. That you that you asked a lot about like learning EQ and things like that? Or was that That's more also a great question? What was your no, what, not what was so your much. kind of process about getting good at EQing and things like that? That's a great that's a great question. Um to be honest with you, um most of my knowledge came from sitting with somebody while they were actually dialing in things or like, you know, if you're at an actual session and somebody gets sounds on you and then you come in and you look and you see what's going on on the console or on the whatever. Um, I did that. And I did, I did ask, like I, I, you know, I still, I, I'm sure you do too. I still ask 
lots mm. of questions about that kind of stuff. Um, right. But Rich was a Rich was a big one as far as like if I if I was asking anybody at the time, it would have been him. And then, um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there was somebody else that actually taught me about EQ. I think I I, I started like reading books when oh. YouTube came along. I would I would go on YouTube and you know I mean I, this was like YouTube was started in what 2005 or something. So maybe a few years after that when stuff started showing up on there. Right. Um. But yeah, it was like self-taught in a lot of ways with all of this stuff, like you are, I'm sure. Um, like I didn't, yeah, didn't go to school. I didn't take a course. I just like sort of taught myself by asking questions and reading. And um, and you know, I, this is probably a good time to talk about this. Um, like I I don't mention it a lot, but like another thing is like I've been an audiophile for since about 2012, 2013, mm -hmm. and like that whole world is like literally about comparing masterings of different recordings right so like if it's like a, a famous right. record like i don't know take thriller or something right there's like say 10 versions of of thriller digital versions like you know cd versions hd versions all that stuff and audio files sit around and like compare those things right right and it it forces you to like form an opinion about why you like versus why you don't and a lot of it has to do with with eq like okay you know this sounds harsh in the mid-range or this has too much top it's like it's it killing my ears or there's not enough low end or whatever and you start to like learn about balance of of frequencies and stuff like that on, mm -hmm. a, on a obviously a more global level but right my ear training from that uh made a huge difference for me in terms of like getting better as an engineer um sitting around listening to vinyl you know, listening to, you know, great HD versions of stuff, digital versions of stuff. Um, you were doing that with actually, a group, group of people or just on your own? Just like Sometimes, yeah. Actually, Michael Iveson and I did a lot of that kind of stuff together because um, he's a total audiophile nerd as well. Right. Uh, so, so, and then I have another friend who's, who's uh, kind of a part-time musician, but, um, but also like he's been an audiophile for like, I don't know. 30 years or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he was the one that kind of like taught me. He's like, you know, what do you, he would sit me down and say, what are you hearing? Like, what do you hear? What do you mm -hmm. like about this? What don't you like? Um, so that was like really, really informative for me as well. So between all of those things, that's how I, that's how I learned, you know. And other specific, let's see. Are there like specific things that you, I mean, that's it's too too much of a basic question. So I wouldn't want to say specific things that you listen for. But let's say you have two versions of a Michael Jackson record. And you're like, oh, this one has more high end. This one has more low end. Do you, do you in your brain, do you go like, oh, I kind of know what frequencies those are. And I, I, I like, I understand how to avoid those or get them depending on like, hey, I'm going to do an 80s thing and I want those frequencies. Yeah. Yeah. It started out where I didn't understand them technically but i i knew what i liked and didn't like and then it evolved into me like figuring out you know what am i hearing here like what frequency is that that's boosted that sounds bad or mm -hmm. you know whatever it was and so yeah so it was an evolution um that way and uh and it's just a thing of like um it's like ear, it's just ear training right? right like i never took i think i took one acoustics course when i was at university of toronto uh mm -hmm. like years and years and years ago and i it's like 
at the time it like went way over my head right. and it was just like utterly boring to me because it was like uh the guy was explaining frequencies but there was no hands-on like right like now if you watch a, a youtube video preferably with somebody who really knows what they're doing where they're talking about like eqing a snare and they and they add some i don't know 10k or something and you can hear like viscerally hear how that makes a difference one way or the other whether you like it or not that to me is like how that stuff should be taught uh because otherwise it's just right. like oh god like right i don't know what that sounds like it's like and, studying books versus yeah like learning textbook things versus learning with your hands ears on yeah hands yeah. on yeah yeah so i anyway that's that's how i feel about that stuff i think it's like you have to um, or I, I guess I should say I wanted to understand deeper. So I went deeper. I think some audiophiles don't ever bother learning what the different frequencies are. They just say right. more generally things, things like mid range, right. top, bottom, whatever, but right. I wanted to understand it. So I, I dug in a little more, you know, but yeah, it, like you said, um, if I'm trying to do something in here, that's like era specific and I know kind of like the kinds of things that went on EQ wise or whatever to get there that actually does make a big difference because it, it helps me to dial stuff in better i would yeah. imagine it makes you much faster i think it does yeah, yeah 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 and also understanding like you know digging in and trying to find like like you and i have talked about a bunch of times like right what do they do you know microphone wise for this to get that kind of sound and what kind of a console was it done on like you know what kind of drums were they using? Everything makes a difference if you're trying to get a certain sound going. Right. So right. Um, all of that was part of it for me. And it's funny because I was thinking about when you when you were you when we talked about this before we did the interview, like the history of me recording, like when I was a um in high school, the first band I was ever in, we like rented I, I here I'll go back to my share screen for a minute. Um so th this was my like you know first experience recording anything it was in high school and we record we rented this uh tascam thing just cassette porta studio yep and we had a couple of drums and i don't remember exactly what the configuration was but like it, I, I remember that it sounded really bad mm -hmm. um and like but it, even back then that band i was in um writing original songs we were just like covering rock songs that we liked right yeah yeah and right. so back then it was like we were trying to get like i remember we did we tried to get the sound or we tried to get um stone temple pilots plush because that was like out at the time like mid cool. 90s or whatever right and so it started back then for me like trying to understand like what's you know what is happening here and i had no clue at the time but i feel like you know it, I'm saying this partly because I feel like one thing that um, if anybody's thinking about getting into recording, it's like you just have to dive in because the more experience you have doing it, even if it's like making a bunch of mistakes, the better you're going to be at it. You have to go through a bunch of stuff to get decent at it. And, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. So the earlier, the better, you know. <laughs> right. Just try not to be intimidated by it. Know? yeah yeah right it's 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 like learning an instrument you just got to start and you yeah. got to be in it you got to be in it because you you like doing it because it's so laborsome 
Yes. That the only way to, I think to get better is to love doing it, you know? Yeah. You have to kind of be obsessed with it. Right. Like I, that's how I feel about it anyway. Like, yes, I think about it constantly. I still think about it constantly. Like, right. I just want to be better at it. Every time I come in here, I try to get better at it. Right. Um, right. And I, and I, you know, now I used to, and I, I'm sure you could relate to this. I used to just set up like one kit with the mics and nothing really changed except maybe the snare or, you know, the symbols or something like that. Mm -hmm. But now I, not only do I change like the drums constantly, but I change the mic setups all the time. Right. Because it's like, I know I need to change it to get a certain sound, you know, right. and I'm less intimidated by that. In fact, it gets boring to me if I don't get to do that sometimes. Like I sure. want to have the opportunity to like mess around with it. I right? agree. I agree. Like at a certain point, I'm like, what else can I do with what I have here? You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I have a, I have two questions for you. One, I think sure. when I was there, yeah, which was just over a year ago, I think the drums were facing a different direction. Yes. Yeah. I, I experimented. So they were in they, that corner. Right like facing out. Right. And then when the pandemic hit, for some reason, I just like felt compelled to <laughs> mess around. Oh, so, so you're blaming it on the pandemic. I see. Okay. Totally. Yeah. Um, and now they're, now they're, I, I don't know how much you can see. I can, yeah, we can see that after, yeah, but yeah, they're, yeah. they're right here and they're facing that wall now. Um, and for some reason, I felt like the low end sounded kind of cleaner and a little bit punchier when they're here. Mm. Plus, it made room mic placement a little easier because I can mm -hmm. put it right up against a wall straight ahead. Okay. Not have to worry about, about a bunch of weird stuff, you know, or having it be on one side or something since there are other things on this side of the room. Right. Um, and it also made it easier for me to get over here where I am now, which is where the rig uh -huh. is. Um, you know what? Let me show that. Why not? Uh -huh. That makes yes. sense. Anything to make, make, make the... Uh... The travel to the uh, control room easier. <laughs> yeah, exa exactly. All right, so you're seeing this, right? I'm seeing the Tascam. Oh, boy. Here we go again. <laughs> it's like a weird lag in uh, it, huh? Okay. Yeah, it's a lag when I switch to screen sharing. Let me... I guess you can I guess you can edit this out. I'll stop and start again with the share. Let's yes. see if this matters. Yeah. Okay, now... There we go. Yep. Okay. Yep. So this is, so I'm sitting right here, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is where the drums are facing outward beside me. Cool. Um, and, and let's see if I have a picture. I do have pictures down here that show. Well, I showed you the room mic pic pictures already, but basically like the, the room mics are directly across from this right. kit. Right where it's set up here. Right. Um, and these are just like, I, I included a couple of these like alternate mic setup things just so. Oh yeah, cool. And I, I do, this is something I was gonna show cause it's like, again, in a small room, um, if I want to, I can go even deader. And so I have this like gobo thing here. Oh, cool. Just so you know, um, the, the, your, the colors on your drums don't match and, there. I found out that's a really important. <laughs> It's really important to have matching colored drums for recording. Just I'm just putting I know, it out. It's I, free advice, okay? 
it's messing with my OCD, believe me. Yeah. <laughs> but I had to, <laughs> I had to do it. I love that you you have a gobo that you can pull in really tight. That's rad. Yeah, it's it's helped a lot with certain as you can imagine with certain kinds of sounds. Like it's made a huge difference because mm-hmm. um, I don't have to do anything post. I I still can if I want to, but it, it, I need to do less of it if I want to like really tighten the sound up. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. So, anyway, that's the, I was just going to show you that because it gives a better perspective on the room. I've also noticed in, in a couple of these pictures, you seem to always have a Glenn Johns setup happening with the. Clothes. Oh yeah, that's okay. That's actually more lately. Okay. Um, I just for me in here, it's turned out that it's worked a little bit better. Um, and I was at um JJ Blair's studio before the pandemic, mm-hmm. and he sets up with Glenn Johns all the time, and he's his room is pretty small. Mm-hmm. Um, so here I'm just cool. kind of dialing like you can uh, just keep scrolling through. It's, uh, it's all good stuff. Yeah, I was gonna try to find a good picture of the Glenn Johns thing. Well, there's the there's the you know one that's close to the floor, but right. Um, and when I was at JJ's, he, his room is really small as well. Um, and it just it just worked really well in there when I listened back to stuff afterwards. So I started experimenting here, and um, lately that's just been something I've been really enjoying. So, so does that like mean it. that's something that you're blending in with other mics? You mean the Glenn? No, the Glenn Jones thing is just like my that's my overhead thing right now. That's what I've been doing. Um, and the floor tom mic oh i'm sorry yeah yeah hold on so so what i'm saying is are you using the glenn johns the three mics oh i know what you're plus asking. plus adding like maybe room mics or 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 and or stereo overheads or whatever so sorry yes now i understand okay so back to this first picture there is there are mics on the top like this is like more of a standard setup for me so like holes are in glenn johns then i have um a rack and rack and floor tom mics. I have two on the kick, two on the snare, mm-hmm. and the room mics are across. Right. Um, and then there's this little guy here, which I can. You know what? Let me go through these for a minute here. Is that a four twenty one down there? What is that thing? No, it's this weird. I'll go right to that. Um, where is that? Put these all in an order, so I wouldn't. The thing that. To... Okay, so it's this like forty dollar, uh, weird ass. Uh, Radio Shack kind of mic, but it's oh. a vintage one. It's like it's like forget the name of the brand name. A Static, I think, is what it's oh, called. Oh wow, cool. Okay. Um, and this guy, this engineer named Chris Reynolds. Do you know Chris? Nope. He um he is buddies with uh Matt Chamberlain, and he he works for the guy Eric Ross, this mm-hmm. producer Eric Ross. Yep. And that's their, this is like their thing. Like it's, there's always this weird mic kind of like pointing up at the snare yep. on the floor. It's only like a foot off the floor or whatever. Right? Okay. Yep. Um, and then you just like, you can, I mean, most of the time it's like distorting it or really smashing and compressing it or whatever. Right. Um, right. So I'll have that going a lot of times just, um, as an option for people so yeah yeah um and then you know 451 on hats a lot of times if i'm doing a hat mic um, right so lately i've been using and you know these mics on toms i've been using the buyer mc 930 the uh small diaphragm condensers cool um and they i've been 
really getting cool sounds with them. I'm really happy with the way those sound. And they also are good in case I want to do like a, you know, hi-fi overhead kind of thing or whatever um, with, with this like stereo small diaphragm condensers or whatever. Right. Um, what do you do since you have a single uh, room? Snare, like, okay, go I'm ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's all good. Um, uh, M201. Yeah. So just quickly, I, so snares M201 on top and 57 on the bottom. Yep. Um, and then, you know, D12, which is not what I use every time. Um, and I'm always worried that it's going to die because they all die. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but I love the way it sounds. So I just, it's hard to use anything else. And then this is this, um, that made by this company called Heiserman, hmm. um, kind of like a new, he's Eric Heiserman's been making capsules for years, but he's starting to get into mics now. And this was Mario Caleri that hit me to this mic and I oh, love it. It's cool. Been really great. That's good. Cause a lot of people ask yeah. me like, where, so what like, were you going to ask? I'm sorry. I was, well, f first I was going to say it's cool because a lot of people ask me about uh, what FET do you use and do, can you recommend one, you know, that's not too expensive? And I don't know. I mean, what's the price point on the right. Heiserman? Yeah, it's, it's not cheap. It, it's like, um, okay. I feel like it was, I'm trying to remember the exact price, but it was like 1500, I think. Oh, that's not bad. It's not terrible. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but it's worth it because it could be used for, you know, they say it's a great vocal mic. I haven't tried it in that role yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have actually used it as an overhead, and it was great, like a mono yeah. overhead. Yeah, it's killer. I find FETs to be pretty cool, versatile mics. If you if you if you decide to put it somewhere else besides a bass drum, which is yeah. you know, <laughs> you just gotta make the decision to wait. Oh wait, that doesn't have to stay there. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I was gonna say, what do you do? Because I, you know, I had the one room thing at one time. What do you do when you have clients come over? Yeah. Um, so I have chairs that I keep in my storage area mm -hmm. that I bring in here for them when, when there's other people in here. Mm -hmm. um, and, but yeah, they just kind of have to um, be here and, you know, put on some like heavy duty headphones, okay. whatever, uh, if they want to be here. And I've actually had a number of engineers in here too, like, or, you know, the kind of guys that are engineers slash producers who will just sit at the desk and right engineer i don't know how those guys do that that's like got to be the toughest thing in the world to like i mean i've done it too i've had people in here and engineered right for them and right like you're just like i i can't hear anything right now right like i'm playing like that no, you know you yeah. kind of have to use your eyes in that in that situation when watch levels and it's tough man I think a lot of that. What's that? They're checking phase. They're they're checking levels, and then of course, you know, obviously when you stop, they listen and they get a sense of yeah, what's happening. But they also, you know, I mean, experienced engineers also understand that they're hearing the drums in the room, and the drums sound good, and they're being played well. So they know that, like, you know, eighty percent, ninety percent of their battle is being won already. You know, right. so as long as they can look at the levels, yeah, they hear it. They're hearing it in the room. They're like, okay, uh, they, you know, they can deal with whatever. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, it's like what you said though. It, it is a challenge having everything in the same room. Um, and I've actually found it lately. Like the more I, you know, dial in my sounds the way I want them, the harder um, 
you know, the more crucial the monitoring thing gets for me inside this room and um even like having the drums right behind me and my monitors are right in front of me right now mm-hmm. even that is tough and, like i have them on stands and i've, I've taken like a lot of care to dial them in here so that i'm not getting you know i'm not getting fooled by them mm-hmm. but man it's especially coming from the audiophile world where i'm so used to like the speakers being set up in a way where i'm hearing everything really clearly in a room mm-hmm. like this it's it's challenging and mm-hmm. i'm i'm blown away by some people like just have their speakers like on a shelf or something and mm-hmm. they just like that's how they monitor themselves I'm, i i can't imagine how someone could do that more power to those people but mm-hmm. like i want to know how my stuff sounds and and those kind of things can really throw you for a loop like even checking phase in that kind of a situation could be really tough yeah yeah I mean, you know. I, I think phrase is always a little bit of a mystery. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but I agree. Yeah, the room can fool you. But you also start to learn your room. You're like, you know, you go to the car, you listen to something, you're like, wait a minute. Like, yeah, exactly. You know, I've, I've... you hear all these engineers now saying like that they're, um, it's like a requirement now. I've talked to like two or three people who say that they check everything in like those Sonos type speakers the, that are basically mono. They're like, they're like this big, but they have, and they have two speakers left mm-hmm. and right, but it's essentially mono. Mm-hmm. So they are like, that's like a requirement now that they check their mixes and those things because people are essentially listening to stuff in mono. At this yeah. Point, you know? Or, or people yeah. even listen through laptops. Yeah. But yeah, the, the single one off Bluetooth speaker, you know, right. I mean, there's so no doubt that are... like, if the, like sometimes when I hear something on Instagram or something, I'm just scrolling through, I'm like, Oh, that sounds good. Like, yeah, that that person knows what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's, there's, I can tell there's low end in this thing. It's coming, it's coming out in the right ways through, yeah, you know, right. crappy exactly. little, you know, yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing what we've like gotten used to and or how we're consuming stuff now that way. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's like very common to consume music on, um what you would consider to be like you know not ideal uh i mean i'm speaking partly i guess it's could come across as being snobby but like from an audiophile perspective that that you just that's it's weird but i but i also like airpods for example which are not you know those sound okay to me it's a good way to yeah listen you know it's a fun way to listen to stuff anyway yeah but i i think if you really like think about like you know for me growing up in the 80s like walkman headphones were i'm you know i haven't heard of right yeah exactly (laughs) or or even the like boom boxes right like it was cool to have a cool looking boom box but in the reality if if we could hear them now how did they really sound you know what i mean yeah it's like probably not great you know and i remember like my set of speakers that i had in my room that i traveled out there you know i had in college you know, I traveled out to LA with, you know, they were like this big and like the size mattered, like was like, oh, they're big, you know, but like in reality, it's like, they probably cost maybe 200 bucks. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, no, exactly. It, it's, it's always like, uh, there's always been um, an equivalent to uh, Bluetooth speakers or, yeah. or, yeah. Or just think about car stereos. You know, shit, especially in the 80s. (laughs) You know what I mean? So bad. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's like it was one speaker coming out of your dashboard. You know what I mean? But, man, (laughs) that didn't matter. You could crank that thing up and, like, you know, it was all good. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 
I mean, my first, I always think about that. Like my first music experiences in my, my life were like being so small that I was barely aware of anything, but being in like the car with one of my two parents while they were playing stuff through the car stereo and hearing like, I don't know, early, mid eighties, uh, radio or whatever, pop right. radio and, right. like that. and that actually like seeped into my subconscious, you know? Right. Um, right. So yeah. I know right. exactly what you mean. So what's one of the things that you've done in your room that you're like really proud of? Um, well, okay. That's a, that's also a really good question. So like, I actually, there's a, there's something that I played in here on that won a Grammy, which is so, so I'm, I'm proud of that from, especially from like that perspective. Mm -hmm. And that was this, um, Lisa Loeb thing. It was a, like a, a uh, she made a children's record mm -hmm. and it was literally just one song that I played on. Right. Um, but I was proud of that just because like, you know, I, I well, kind of co-engineered it with, with, uh, Rich with Jacks Rich, Rich, and, yep. um, and he came, so he came over and we did that. And of course, like something like that, you, you don't even think about, you know, it might be up for an award or something. Right. I mean, then when it got nominated, I was like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Something I recorded at my place is nominated for an award. And then it won. And I was like, this is amazing. Um, right. So I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then like, like lately, uh, you know, I recorded like a lot of stuff for my wife's last record that I'm really proud of that. Um, and I'm, I'm saying that too, because it's like the most, one of the most current things I've done. Mm -hmm. um, and that was something where that thing I mentioned earlier, Chris Reynolds, like, he came here a lot and helped us and he kind of co-produced it with us and he right. engineered uh with me and and like he's a drummer as well so like i learned a ton from those sessions as well like doing stuff with him over here right and, and what's that record called in case people want to check it out um it is called take it it's on it should be it's on all the streaming all the streaming services and they can look it up by by googling mrs I'm sorry. mrs matt star or <laughs> yeah mrs matt star um in bar so, so it's i n b a r uh -huh. star s t a r r okay my last name so there we go or star take it um and yeah so those are like I'm, I'm sure there's other things that i'm just forgetting to mention but i'm pretty proud of those just because yeah you know, i think it's the things that come to mind first that are uh, that those are the important ones. That's you yeah. Know, doesn't have to be yeah. like, oh, I did all this production on this thing, blah blah blah. It's like no, the one that like means the most to you, you know. Exactly. And obviously, you're happy with your work on it. Exactly. Yeah. And it and it and it's current too, which is like you know important because it's like where I'm at now, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's what I, that's why I think of that. So when you say current, tell me what that means to you right now in terms of like in 2021 um, does it sound like does it have like trap hats on it and 808s or or what mm -hmm. like you know what i mean oh yeah okay i see oh well you know what's interesting about it is there's a lot of like um i mean there is straight up programming on it mm -hmm. um but there's also a lot of like me trying to because she loves uh electronic sounds and i was determined to like blend electronic sound and also try to like recreate acoustically what it would sound like to you know have an 808 bass drum or a, mm -hmm. a snare or something like that mm -hmm. and try to like make that out of something that i i have mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. and and actually her record because it's like a, a 
couple three years old now um but like i i like progress a lot working on that record with her trying to like make that happen mm -hmm. you know um so that's definitely a current thing for me and and then something that's always been important to me is like uh having every song have its own personality sonically so like changing up kits changing up everything to do with the sound of the song so that it's not like one drum sound for the whole record it's like every song has its own right drum sound to it so that's another thing is when i say current that's something i i've been really into and really love to do so right it's not necessarily like a band thing where it's like okay we have this basics we have this sound and it's a band and that's right that that one sound is inherent to the sound of the band and or the record yeah. Right, exactly. It was like every song we worked on, every song is its own thing. And right. um, it was done completely piecemeal. Like, I don't think we did one live session with more than one musician, except we had a bass player, two different bass players in here to, to do basic tracking with drums a couple of times. Right. But like, other than that, it was all done as overdubs. So and we were at Jeff Babco's house and we had Dave LaVita here. And we just like, we kind of did a bunch of had a, a bunch of really great people involved with it, so it turned out really well. Right. So. Th those guys are hacks. I don't know why you hired those They're guys, total, but that's okay. Total, I, yeah, I'll never call them again, <laughs> ever. Uh, Actually, you know what? You know what's cool too is like is like um, I'm trying to think. There's Babco is definitely one of them, but like there are certain people when you go to their place and you watch how they work in their environment and you see how dialed in they are, it becomes really inspiring try to do the equivalent thing here like for me to try to do the equivalent thing here and when i saw babco and like the way he works and he gets into this really creative space and, and yet he's really quick like he gets everything done fast mm -hmm. but he's just like everything's dialed everything's ready to go it's just like you know if if you want him to try something different he's like on it like that yep. doing something else dialing in a sound and that was that was really cool to see too for me like just to you know oh wow it's like this is like the modern recording era like this is what we're in now it's like yeah. this is how you do it yeah you know? i mean jeff is incredibly fast i just played with him last week and it was at a at a at an outside studio and amazing the um, the yes it was it was it was the first time <laughs> i played with you know tracked with people in a year you know amazing. um but yet yeah jeff is he's incredibly fast whether it's a synth sound or a just going to a b3 and then not only dialing a tone but playing stylistically correct and playing it right the first time it's i mean it's jeff is phenomenal yeah he's amazing yeah, yeah. i would agree though that's what i definitely what i strive to do it's like when people are here i think you know we work alone so much that we definitely get into our our rhythms working alone i think we get faster but then but then when you notice that people come over and they're like hey well what if it could be maybe like this you're like yes i know what to do yeah like bam right. whether it's a percussion thing or tweaking something like hey give me two minutes let me sit down at the computer give me two minutes to dial this thing in you know yeah whatever it is i mean i think do you ever i i'm, I'm curious for you with you do you ever because i i have a, a struggle with that sometimes where it's like there are certain cases where I'm in here by myself and I, and I get into something and I go in a certain direction and it takes me a long time 
Mm-hmm. And I could, I, in, under pressure, I could do it faster, but the end result of, of working sometimes for hours on something can actually be super cool as well. So it's like, do you ever find yourself in like being pulled in both directions like that, where you wish you could spend longer on something, uh, cause you know, you could get it to a different place that would, you know, but it would require a lot of work is what I'm saying, you know? Y- yes. The answer is yes. The short answer is yes. Um, I think there's two sides to that answer. One is when someone is not here and they basically kind of tell you what they want and you go, okay, cool. And then you dive in like real hard and you're like, you've like finished after two hours, two and a half hours. And you're like, this is my masterpiece. And you email it off to them and they go, wow, great sounds. This is cool. Can we talk? And and you go, oh, <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> and you know that yeah. something needs to change. So, and I, okay, so literally the last, let's see, today is Tuesday. So on Friday, I had this kind of happen. And then yesterday I had this kind of happen on two different projects. And the first one was, uh, it was for what I thought was a solo artist, friend of mine, right. but it turns out it was for his band. I didn't know that, so I went in a certain direction. And then we talked, and then he said, no, this is for the band. And I went, oh, okay. I will I, I will, to- I will tell this, I will approach this totally differently now. Not right. totally differently, but there was definitely an attitude shift and a, and a style shift. The sounds basically stayed the same, but there was, there was that. And then the thing I was working on yesterday it's one of those it was one of those things where I could keep going and going and going and it would all probably be cool. Yeah. And you know, it's like you start creating the drum symphony, you know. But it's still this thing, since we're remote, you're like, I you know, like how far do I go? You know, what else do I need to do here? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then the time versus money thing. And at a certain point, you're like, okay, I could literally spend, like, I've spent, you know, X amount of hours on this, and I could spend two or three more, but I'm going to cut it off, because... Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing I've been doing during pandemic, aside from, like, uh, you know, sessions like what you're talking about, is I I actually, there's this band that I've been in for, it's like a couple of years now, Mm -hmm. including the pandemic. Um, Mm -hmm. And we started this record at jj blair's place before the pandemic mm-hmm. did these uh two songs and then the pandemic hit and we had put you know the plan had originally been to go to be to go back there and do finish the record but it's mm-hmm. like that wasn't going to happen right so we started doing it all remotely and it started this like well let's see what happens we'll do one and then they ended up really like being happy with with the results we all ended up being really happy with the results of 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 the first song we did like that. So mm-hmm. that's the direction we decided to go and is like finish right. this record. Right. And it's different with that because like I, because it's a record that it's a band that I'm actually a part of, I'll right. be in here for hours sometimes right. just like, right. You're really, nuts, really like, emotionally invested in it. Totally. Yeah. And the, and they, it's just kind of like, I mean, of course the people who write the songs in the band are, are, are giving direction and, you know even revising things sometimes but it's 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 a little bit more like hands off like they're like you know just 
you know, we trust you. Um, yeah. This is the general direction. And that's really fun because it's like, it's, it's almost a like just carte blanche kind of thing. I know? think, I think those things are the most important because you, you explore more because, because yeah. you're so invested and you, you actually start to create your own style. Like, like this thing I was mentioning yesterday, um, the things, the way I was listening to it come out from what I did, I was like, oh, this is kind of turning out like this kind of other thing that I did. And it's like the, the sounds I, I'm going for and it's like where you choose to layer and things like that. And you're like, oh, I'm like, wow, that's kind of like me. Yeah. Like that, this, like that's me, not only as a player, but as a, uh, engineer and, you know, producer, personality, producer. Yeah. Yeah. And those, and I, and I think that's when you get to go deep like that, then you start to carry those things to other people's sessions and you can pull them out. Like we were talking about Jeff, when you've done those things, you can start to draw on them really quickly. Yes. Cause you're like, this is, this is my shit. I'm going here. You want this? Yeah. Oh, and, and then you get positive feedback and you go like, Oh, yep. Cool. You know. And that's and that's when I that's when I start to wonder like, you know, how it must have been in the golden age where it's like guys were getting like you, like I watched your interview with uh, Kurt, you know, mm -hmm. and like guys were getting called because they were Jeff Percaro or Steve Gadd or whatever, and it's like no, they this we're hiring him and that's his drums and this is how he sounds mm -hmm. and we want that sound. Right. Uh, that's such a big distinction between like and that you guys were talking about like. You know, oh, we want we want that we want it to sound like Mick Fleetwood, or right. we want it to sound like I don't know, Steve Jordan or something. It's right. like that's a huge difference between like no, we want you to be you, you right, know? right, yeah, which is rare, which is yeah. rare, yeah. But I'm but sure you so, have. I have a few clients that call me to do me, and as I'm sure you do too. You know, it's yeah. like yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. So it, and and that's and that's when I think that's just goes back to what you were saying then you get to explore and and really find out more even more about what what it is that you're you know you're it's almost like if you weren't thinking and you just started creating something what would that be and that's what you get in those situations right. i think right but you have a yeah and it's nice to have a palette uh, yes. a, a framework to put it on right yeah exactly yeah the opportunity yeah the opportunity to, to to put it somewhere right yeah. right super cool right on dude i think that's a great Good place, place to, to wrap this up yeah 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 um i appreciate it dude uh thanks for having me this was great of course man it's like full this is this is my my geekdom really coming to a full circle i think 